This morning, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel according to Luke. And last week, if you were with us, we walked through what I think is probably the hardest passage in the Bible. It's the one that I would cut out and burn and never to see again. It's that one where Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. But Jesus calls us to a different way. Now, walking through that passage, we step next into the end of his teaching, what is often called the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Hill. It's this extended teaching we've been walking through. And as we walk into the last section of the sermon, we step into what might be the second most difficult passage in the Bible. And if not the second most, definitely top ten. And so we just have had a doozy of passages right here as we walk with Jesus through this record of his life that Luke gives us. Now, one of the reasons that this passage is so difficult is not just because of the ethical challenge, because of the ethical challenge he gives us. It's also because he uses multiple images in the passage. Take a look. There's a, there's, there's a number of images he's going to walk us through, bringing this teaching from so many different angles. He talks about a good measure uh, of grain. He talks about the blind leading the blind. He talks about a teacher and student. He talks about a speck of dust and a plank, a tree and its fruit, treasure of a storehouse, and then two house builders. All of that in this last section of this sermon. And we're going to just tackle all of that in, in one sermon this morning. And all of it, I think, is going to be quite the challenge. But I think it will bring us to a place that there's going to be some application. Like literally something you and I can do in everyday life this week. That's the goal. So here we go. We'll step into step into the first section. We'll just take it. We'll just take it section by section. We'll just break up this passage section by section. We pick out verse thirty-seven, chapter six, verse thirty-seven. Jesus says this: "Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap." Or with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So that those verses right there might be the most misunderstood and often misquoted verses of all of Jesus' teaching. You see, in our day, if you make any moral evaluation, you call anything evil, immediately you're going to hear someone say, Jesus said, do not judge. Do not judge. And they'll try to call you off that moral evaluation because Jesus said, do not judge. That means you can't judge anything. And so what this text has been used for is to justify tolerance for everything and an acceptance of everyone. But that is not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is not teaching that we are to accept everything and tolerate everyone. No, Jesus has got something else going on here. Now, here's one of the reasons I know this is not what Jesus is teaching. Because if we fast forward just a few chapters, Jesus is going to send his disciples out on a short missionary journey. And those disciples, uh, particularly the twelve, are, are told, you do not take anything. And you go into different towns and you bring the good news. Now, if you go into a town and they don't accept you, here's what you're to do. Here's what he says. Luke 9, verse 5. If people don't welcome you, leave their town Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. It's that as a testimony against them that we really need to pay attention to, particularly in the context of what he's teaching in Luke 6, to judge not, 
condemn not. See, it would be one thing if you just like, hey, if they don't take care of you, then leave the town. That just seems to be common sense. But Jesus says, you just, you leave the town, you shake the dust off your feet, because it is a form of judgment. It is a testimony against them. There really is something called evil. And there really is something called good. And Jesus never, never tells his disciples to, to, to forsake the distinction. No. You call evil what it is. Evil is evil, and good is good, and you call that out. And so this is not a call to accept everyone in every lifestyle or to tolerate everyone in everything and just, 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 let it, or just, just bring it all in. We are the world. Let's make it a better place. You hearing it? 1980? Did you go there with me? Thank you. Okay. Good. Finally, a reference you got. Man. I've been missing it here lately, so good. Okay, so I need to, everything needs to be 1980. I got it. Okay, I got it. Um, <laughs> okay, you get the point. This is not what Jesus is teaching. Because even Jesus teaches his disciples that, he, that they are going to at times have to bring a testimony against wrong and evil. So what would Jesus, what is he teaching here then? If it's not that you just accept everything and you tolerate everyone... Well, I think it's this. One scholar says it this way. I think he really nails it here. Jesus is warning against harboring a judgmental spirit that is, check this, that is overly interested in the faults of others and is exhorting us to develop the same patience towards others that we show to ourselves. That, does that not start to get to the heart of it? Don't, you, don't we know what that's, don't we know when we have that kind of spirit, Right? We default to this, right? Where we are overly concerned about everyone else's faults, um, but ignore our own. John Calvin, the great reformer, 500 years ago, had this to say about this, about this text. It is not necessary that believers should become blind and perceive nothing, but only that they should refrain from an undue eagerness to judge. An undue eagerness to judge. This is the thing Jesus is teaching us to leave, to get rid of, to move away from. The way of the world is a world that is critical and judgmental, and it will cancel you in a second. Jesus calls us to a different way, a way of patience, a way of, a, a way of understanding, a, a way of grace and mercy. And here's the thing we know as we move through the gospel according to Luke. We know the disciples struggled with an overzealousness to judge those that were not like them. There's this story that comes, uh, actually it just comes right here in chapter, uh, chapter 9. The one we just quoted. Just later in that chapter we see this story about the disciples. Verse 51 through 56. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And as he sent messengers on ahead, who went into, Samaritan, uh, into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Next verse is this. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. What Jesus is teaching in chapter 6 plays out in chapter 9. Jesus is, 
is teaching his disciples here in this sermon in chapter 6, don't be the kind of people that when someone makes you mad or someone's different than you, that your default reaction is to call down fire from heaven on them. Don't be those kind of people. If you follow me, you don't do that. And one of the reasons you don't do that is he's now going to bring in that image of the marketplace where someone's giving you grain and they're just filling up the grain, overflowing your sack, just overflowing. The reason that we don't become the kind of people who call down fire on people that upset us or hurt us or might be different than us, or we might have a personality conflict, is because, thank God, he didn't do that with you. We are, the, we are to be the kind of people who have not only received, but also give, overflowing with generosity. The images from the marketplace where you're buying grain and the person selling you the grain fills your sack up and then shakes the sack so that you can get more in. And he fills more in, shakes the sack, and you fill more, and eventually you're overflowing. Jesus is calling his disciples to be the kind of people that recognize God has given you that kind of generosity. You now pay it forward for those that may have hurt you, you don't like, or just might be a little different. We're not talking about people that have that actually practice evil or lead others in evil. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that just rub you the wrong way or actually have hurt you, but you treat them, you give to the measure you've been given. There's the image. This is the way Jesus is calling his disciples to live in this new kingdom that has now come to earth through Christ. He continues. Let's pick up next Next part of the passage, verse 39. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Another hard teaching. Now there's some debate here because Jesus launches into this into this continual flow of thought by talking about the blind leading the blind and the teacher and the student. And so there's some question about why would Jesus move from this command to judge not, condemn not, forgive, Give to the measure you've been given. Why would he move from there to then a teaching about blind people leading blind people and students following their teacher? Because it doesn't seem to flow. But I think what we have here is Jesus reminding his disciples that if you're to become the kind of person that doesn't walk around with a judgmental spirit, you're going to have to be trained by someone that also does not walk. In the, with a judgmental spirit. You see, if you walk regularly with people who are judgmental, you will become just like them. Now, if we take in the wider context of the passage, if you remember in the last two chapters before we hit Luke 6, you remember there's a, there's a group of people in particular that have been riding Jesus and his disciples day in and day out constantly bringing judgment and condemnation. We call them the Pharisees. And so in the, context of the, uh, in the context of the story at this point, I think Jesus has in mind here, if you are trained by the Pharisees, 
If you are trained by this group of people that are always looking for other people's faults, always looking to judge, always looking to put down, always thinking they're above everyone else, if you, if you walk with those people, you will become like them. And you too will be formed with a judgmental spirit. And in that way, you will have no place for God's grace because you won't even understand you need it. But if you were trained then in this other way, and I think here Jesus has himself in mind, if you are trained by me, you will learn to be the kind of person who overflows with mercy and grace. You'll actually begin to give in the same measure God has given you. Now, he, he then moves to this, to this place where Jesus actually uses some humor. Like, Jesus isn't just some stilted, boring man who walks around, you know, giving commands all the time. He actually, like, he has a sense of humor. And so he tells the people, hey, if you're trained like the Pharisees, and you become like them in this way, and you carry with you a judgmental spirit, just overly critical, then you'll be like the kind of person that is calling out specks of dust in everyone's eye the whole time while you've got this massive log in yours. And you can imagine in that moment, that would have actually been quite funny. And if I would have brought in a two-by-four, right, and like actually tried to live this out, it would have maybe looked funny. But this is Jesus is trying to get us to see the absurdity of pointing out everybody else's faults and never recognizing your own. You do see here, right? Jesus doesn't have a problem with you seeing other people's faults. There really would be a speck of dust in your eye. It's not like we made it up. Like, you can identify wrong in other people's lives. The problem with that is we default to never seeing our own when that's all we do. And we are so good at that. And so Jesus here calls us and calls the disciples to move in a different way. And what's so interesting, right, is that if you are constantly pointing out everyone else's faults, never looking at your own, you don't even see clearly. You actually begin to think specks of dust are logs. And you'd never see the two-by-four that's just sticking out of your face, right? Okay. This, I think, is why Jesus then moves to calling people who do this hypocrites. One scholar explains it this way. I really like the way they... This scholar pointed this out. It's hypocrisy because we're in danger of committing the great sin whenever we fail to see others as we really are, pretending that we're not selfish, greedy, proud, or guilty of other log-sized sins. That's where the hypocrisy comes in. Hypocrisy, that's just a word in the Greek that means to put a mask on. So you, you literally are pretending. It's a word that comes out of the theater, the ancient theater. You put a mask on. You pretend to be something you're not. So when, when you and I will, are pointing out everyone else's faults, never looking at our own, we're pretending that we are in no way like them. Like, like they have a problem with pride. I'm so glad I don't. Right? You do know, and I'm not going to quote the passage, later on in the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus is going to tell a story about two people, a tax collector and a Pharisee. Do you remember the story? They both go up to pray. The Pharisee goes up and says, God, I'm so thankful you made me this good. I fast, I pray, I go to church. Just th thank you for making me. I guess, I guess in some way the Pharisee's saying, God, you can thank me for being me. The, the tax collector comes up on the mountain and he says, I'm not even worthy to be praying. 
Would you just forgive me? And Jesus says, you know who was justified? The tax collector. The tax collector. You see, the problem is not seeing fault in others. There is a part of being a Christian where that is, we are called to that kind of distinction. The problem is we default to only seeing other people's faults. And we begin to become so puffed up, we think we have no problems. Churches across the world carry this disease. Where we think we have it so good, we're so holy, that we can call out everybody else's sin, but never look at our own. Listen, we're going to call out sin at East 10th Street Church. We will never give up calling out sin. But we will never stop stepping on our toes. Because the sermons that go out to them, they have to also start with us. And that will be the way it has to be, because this is the way of Jesus. So how do you, how do you like begin to identify if, if you're carrying a judgmental spirit? Like, what are the kind of things that you would begin to see? Well, here Jesus picks up two more images. The one of the storehouse and of the fruit. Take a look. We'll pick up the next section. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I want you to notice a couple things here right out of the gate. Number one, Jesus makes a distinction between two kinds of people. There's not a third way. Evil and good. There's the distinction. So I just want us to be clear. Jesus actually calls things for what they are, evil and good. Now, when it comes to now uh, to, 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 to the disciples, how would you identify if you're walking in the judgmental spirit, always identifying specks in everyone else's eye while you got the two by four sticking out of your own eye? Well, Jesus says, pay attention to your words. Pay attention to your words. Oh, we can think we're we can think we're kind and generous and nice and we have all these fuzzy feelings about everyone in the world. But pay attention to how you talk to and about people. That will tell you what's in the heart. And so if you're constantly critiquing, you're constantly finding fault, if you never can say something nice, if you're constantly gossiping, if that's the kind of person you become, well that's exactly what's going on on the inside. Your words are like things brought from a storehouse or fruit from a tree. So pay attention to the kind of words you're using. And so if someone in your life who happens to be honest, often these are kids, say things like, you never have anything nice to say, or you always yell, or you're always critical, or I can't ever do anything right in your eyes, maybe you should pay attention. Because they may be reflecting back what your words actually sound like. I don't have this problem. I just, I figured some of you might. Um, so, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to blush and I'm getting all nervous. I'm sweating. I'll be coming down for the invitation. Someone needs to receive me. Okay. So, Jesus takes this, takes all of it and he moves us to a summary. And this summary is going to bring us to an ending for the whole sermon. It's going to bring us to a point where he just wraps up everything. He's going to end us where he started. Verse 46. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them to practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck, that house could not shake it. That house, I'm sorry, but uh, struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torment struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus ends where he began because here he gives only two ways to live life. You either live life following Jesus or you follow someone else. Because you will follow someone. You will follow the way of the world. The way of the world is a world that is the way that says this life is all there is. Success and money and reputation. And you make sure that when someone hurts you, you hurt them. When someone does wrong, you critique. You make sure that you get everything perfect and you do enough so that life is good for you. And if someone harms you, you harm them. That is the way of the world. But Jesus gives us a different way. He says, you may be poor in this world, but you make sure you are rich with me. You may, you may suffer, but don't you worry, a reward is for you in heaven. And for your enemies, you pray for them. Actually, you bless them. And for those that annoy you and those who are full of fault, you just give the same measure that God has given you. And make sure you don't become the kind of person that finds fault with everyone else while you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your eye. Pay attention to your words. Don't be a judgmental person. Be a person of mercy. If you hear what I'm saying, do it. If you will live this way, then when cancer comes, when a heart attack comes, when relationships struggle, when the economy falls apart, whatever might come, don't you worry. Because you will stay standing because you were built on me. You built on the kind of life I've taught you to live. But if you try to live your way, and live the way of the world, when the storms come, because they will come, your life will crumble. Your life will crumble. These are the two ways. And so this is exactly how we started. He ends. And I think all of it's got some application for us. So I kind of just want to move right there. Now, I'm going to go a bit theological in the application, which is a, a bit backwards from the way I typically do it, but I think you've got to remember this. So let's go with this first point of application, and I'm going to bring us to something very concrete. I think we've got to remember this. God changes our hearts. We can't work our way into a new heart. The teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are a way of life you and I cannot do on our own. This is just a reminder. You can't do these commands, you can't follow these commands uh, well enough that you are able to save yourself. You can't. You and I, in our heart of flesh, will always default to judging more then we confess our own sin. Always. We default there. And so we need a new heart, but you cannot work your way to that new heart. You need Jesus. And he's got to do a work you can't do. So like, I, I want to like introduce the application section by saying, you can't do this on your own. You can't try hard enough. Now you come with me to this passage that we read last week. We can't remember it enough. Ephesians 2, verses 8-9, through 9, for it is by grace you've been saved. 
through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if you sit here this morning, as I stand here, looking at this passage saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, I messed up yesterday on this. There's no way I can do this. That's the right place to, that's the right place for you and for me. This is the right place for us to be. We can't do it. Never forget God's grace. When you fail, His grace holds you. Because you will fail on this. Okay, but like that just doesn't leave us passive, right? So here's the next thing. It's this. After God saves us, we do have work to do. So I just want to remind you. There's work to be done. Not work to, like, so that you get into heaven. Work so that you become more and more like Jesus. There's that famous passage out of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Here it is, chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. He tells them this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you that will to will and to act in order to fill His good purpose. So if you're a Christian saved by grace, well now your job and my job is to actually work out that salvation into real life. We literally are being trained in the way of our Teacher, our Savior, and our Lord. And so what does it look like to work out this teaching in real life. If you remember last week, I told you that this, this, the, that the passage on loving your enemies was well beyond me. In ten years, I'll preach that sermon differently. I'll be, have walked with Jesus longer. I'll understand it more. But man, it's still a tough one. And I think here is the same thing. So like ten years from now, um, I'd I, I probably have a lot, a, um, a lot more to say about how to apply this to your life. But i got some practical things I just want to suggest. And these are just some things that come into my mind. If you've got ones that come to you, tell me. Like, help me out here. Not like right now. That'd be chaos. But, like, later on, tell me. I'd like to know. Like, man, what's some ideas you're, that, that we could work through on how we get this stuff on the ground? Training in the way of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. Working out the salvation that He has so generously given us into real life. Like, where you live. Here are three options. Now, I know some of you, you're going to like read the whole list right now, but maybe have some discipline. Just come with me one at a time. Imagine your life. I mean, literally, thought experiment. Imagine your life if God gave you what you deserve. It wouldn't be good for me. And I imagine it would not be good for you. Literally, if God gave you what you deserve, you and I would be in a heap of trouble. And so I'm just suggesting that take a few minutes and, and run that thought experiment. Go through that list of sins, those things you regret, and then look at all the good things God has brought uh, out of even your dumb decisions. Just take a, just seriously walk through your, your, like your life's timeline and imagine if God never turned to good your bad decisions, but gave you the same thing you would give to others when they mess up. The goal here is that maybe that softens the heart a little bit. That thank you, God, for not giving me what I deserve. Uh, maybe I need to pay that forward. Maybe I need to pay that forward. The next one here is, this is a tough one for me. Give the benefit of the doubt and acknowledge you might not be right. 
it's a tough one. Like, it's a tough one. Like, it's, it's like on both sides of this, right? Like, I don't want to give the benefit of the doubt. And the reason I want to give, give the benefit of the doubt is because I default to thinking I'm right. Like, I typically think I'm right. So when you tell me something that is contrary to the way I think, my default is, you're wrong. You're wrong. And now, typically, other people are wrong. But in that 1%, one percent. Listen, y'all. I've given myself one percent. I feel like that's a, that's a step. <laughs> so seriously, like, try to figure out ways. And some people do this more naturally than others. Some people do this more naturally than others. Where they they think more holistically. They they try to see things from other people's perspective. I don't default there. I'm just saying a practical way to become less judge, judgmental to fight against that tendency in our flesh. It's that when you really disagree with somebody, or you've even been hurt by them, try to run the thought experiment. What is it like from their angle? Just start there. Maybe there's more that I can't see. All right. And then this one. Say I'm sorry. And I have to put this. No disclaimer, no caveat. You can't do that. You don't, I'm sorry, but. It's I'm sorry. I'm sorry with no disclaimer caveat, to someone you need to, but don't want to, say I'm sorry to. It's the don't want to, right? You don't want you want to, for whatever reason. Now, my older children are going to think that I did something this morning just so I could talk about it from stage. This is not the case. It just fits really, really well. And man, the timing is great. Yesterday, both of my older children did some things that I thought deserved punishments. Maybe I wasn't right. I gave those punishments. And I think I was overcritical. I think I was really quick to judge and not see it from their perspective. I needed to say sorry. Do you know why I didn't want to say sorry? Because when you say sorry to a teenager, you give them an inch... They're going to take a mile. Yeah. Yeah. You say sorry. Now everything's going to require sorry. Hey, Dad, you punished me. Shouldn't you say I'm sorry? Like that's going to become the refrain. But I can't, I, I can't forecast into the future. I knew I needed to say sorry as much as I didn't want to. And so I did. I said, I'm sorry. I was judgmental. I, I think I was overcritical. I'm sorry for that. And man, that was hard. Who's the teenager in your life? Figuratively. Although if you have a literal teenager, you, you get me real well right now. But who is it in your life that you probably need to say sorry to, but you really don't want to? Because it's going to require humility. That moves us. That moves us in a direction where we are more merciful and less judgmental. All right. So I was thinking, don't put that next slide up yet. Let me give it the runway. So... When I was thinking, like, so what could we do this week? Well, these are real concrete things we could do, I thought. But there's that phrase, right? If you can't say something nice, what? Don't say it at all. Yeah. You know the problem with that? It stays inside you, right? Like, I want to cuss you out, but I'm not. I'm just doing it in my head. Like, like the person this week that was driving 20 on Old Farm Road again. I know. 
And then I had to call Jason. I said, Jason Etheridge, please, would you speed up? Um, I just cussed you out of my head. Um, I didn't really. I'm a pastor. I would never think that way. Do you, I just want you to understand, like, I think I've been called by God to teach God's word, but do understand, I still live in the flesh like you. So that's why we do this together, too, okay? But the point is, don't keep the things just in your head. So I want to just, just, I just want to tweak it just a bit. This week, this week, when you and I are moving towards being overly critical, uh, to being, to just moving in a way that we're just finding fault with everything, here's what I'm going to suggest. Next step for this week. If you can't say something nice, then don't say it. Then pray for that person. Okay? Now listen, I, I am still suggesting do not say the thing you shouldn't say. But take one extra step and pray for that person. And if you remember like last week, sometimes you don't want to pray good for that person. So just put them in front of God. God will be able to handle that person. So when you can't say something nice this week, don't say it. Just make sure to pray too. Make sure to pray. And put that into God's hands. That'll do two things. Number one, it'll bring you to a place where you are trusting more and more God with a heart that he needs to change. Secondly, it'll soften you. It'll soften you to become more like him and less like the world. And in the end, Luke 6, this long sermon, that's what Jesus is driving to. Let's be a people that is more like Jesus and less like the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As much as it challenges us, it convicts us. May your word just continue to change us as we put in place practical things that help us. We pray for those that have done wrong. We pray for those that have done bad. We pray for those that have hurt us or hurt someone we love. But we also thank you for the mercy you've shown us for when we've hurt and we've done bad and we've rebelled. Soften our hearts so that we become the kind of people that default with grace and mercy, particularly in our personal relationships. Help us in that way. We know you will. We pray in the name of Jesus the one whom we're trying to follow, the teacher, we the students. Together we say, Amen. So we're going to come now to a time of response. You know, we do this every week. We do this in remembrance of Him. The church is a place for the wounded, not the perfect. So we come to the table as sinners, saved by grace. And when we take the bread and juice at this table, we remember, we have life because of Him, not because of all the good things we've done. This is really good news. I've said it multiple times. I don't think we will understand how good this news is until we are in heaven seeing his glory. I don't think this is a problem with the goodness of the news. I think it's a problem with the blindness of our eyes and affections. So we come to the table training ourselves to constantly retell the good story of Jesus. He died for our sins, came back to life, and graciously gave us the promise of eternal life. That's good news. Now, when we come to the communion table today, and you know, we come by row and down the center aisle, and you go to your respective sides, you know, we have a offering plates. This is our offerings and tithes. We just want to be a generous people. And if you have a decision to make, just meet me in the back. I don't know what that might be. Like, you want to join the church, um, 
you want to pray about something, whatever that might be, you can come see me. Then we're going to sing one last song after communion. And then we're going to celebrate our graduates. And then we'll be dismissed as I close this in prayer. So if you would, I thought I knew, George and Bill. George and Bill. I feel like this is like a contest. Come on up. Let us pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do come this morning to this table to give thanks for you. To thank you that you went to that cross and you died, that you came alive and you rose from that grave. And we thank you that our sins is on you and that you bear them for us. And now we can come and be free of those sins as we confess them to you. And Lord God, we can just continue to be more like you each day as we move forward in this life. And we, as we take this bread, we remember the broken body that you have and the spilled blood as we drink from the cup that you have sacrificed yourself for us. And we thank you and, and praise you in all your name. With your name we pray. Amen.
would you please stand? taking a step. That's all we're working on here, is a step. You take enough of these steps, you'll get in a mile. Eventually you'll get a marathon. But this week, let's take a step and just put in front of God the person you really don't like. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace that you have given us. You have been so merciful to us. So now go with us into the week. And help us along the way as we put in front of you the people we don't like, the people who've hurt us, the people who've hurt people we love. And, and we know you'll be gracious with us. And as much as we may not like it, you just might be gracious to our enemies. Help us to live more and more into the kingdom, being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. More and more children of God, less and less children of the world. All to your glory, we exalt you, your Son Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We pray that in His name. Together we say, Amen. So before we close, we actually have a special moment for our church family. Not just one couple coming forward, but two couples coming forward. So come on up. Right now. That's right. You didn't, I didn't know until just now. I know. I know. It's a crowd. It's great. Um, so we have Dave and Nina and Elizabeth coming as baptized believers and Bud and Crystal Key coming as baptized believers uh, saying that they want to join our church family. And so what we do when uh, someone joins our church family is we ask them to affirm the good confession. And so we're going to ask that you affirm that just simply by saying yes, I will state it, you say yes. And then upon that affirmation, you join our church family as baptized believers. So... I will ask you, do you still believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Okay, on that affirmation, they join us as new members at East 10. So I'm going to have a closing prayer, pray for them as well. We're so grateful. Um, Bud and Crystal have been coming, uh, I don't know for how long now, over a year? Yeah, and, and Dave, and, over a year? Yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Um, so, so glad to have them joining. Also, I forgot to have our veterans stand. Uh, 
But so we're going to I'm going to pray for all of our veterans in here. And I know there are so many of you in here. So pray for you uh, and we'll pray for uh, these two families as well. So let's pray. Father, as we come to a close on this day, we're so grateful for your word. Uh, and in some ways we, we we get uncomfortable and we're thankful for that. Uh, we know it's for our good. Continue to help us to move and be transformed in the likeness of the kingdom of, of God through Christ. Thank you for Bud and Crystal, and we are so grateful for Dave and Nina and Elizabeth, and we pray just blessings over them, particularly as we just we do life together over the years to come, whatever that may hold, becoming more and more like Jesus. So help them along that way. Help us as a church family. And we are grateful for those who have served in the armed services in our church family. Would you on this day in particular bless them as well? We honor them and we are thankful for them, for they have served according to your purpose. And now go with us into the rest of our week. Continue to challenge and shape us. We pray that in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.